Bergen Community College presents Diabetes into the New Decade. A lot of the reading that we do are about the horror stories. I mean, any of the periodicals put out and stuff like that. But you, you can have a good life with this disease. You just have to work really hard at it. And uh, I, I think people need to know that. I find having to eat at a specific time is the m biggest problem. Um, everybody in the world is on some kind of diet or another, so it, that really isn't as big an issue as it probably used to be years ago. Um, but if you say you can't eat something, most people, that's fine. And when I go to someone's house for dinner, I can tell them when I can or cannot eat, and, and that's usually fine. But the having to eat at specific times is really um, hard. I was on my boat and my eyesight started to cloud and I got a little worried. I didn't do anything about it right at that point, uh, but then I had the, the ordinary symptoms. I, I drank water, no end, I, I still felt thirsty, I urinated constantly, it didn't do any good. And Really what got me to a doctor is that my vision began to cloud and I said, oh, there's something radically wrong and at that point I went to a doctor. When I looked in the mirror that first morning uh, and I said, Oh, the room is cloudy. Look, look the, ro the room is gray. Uh, you know, and then it suddenly <laughs> it occurred to me, oh, there's nothing wrong with the room. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> yeah. Don't let the disease fool you. Because there are things that are happening in my body that aren't even obvious. Uh, I lost my hearing because of, of antibiotics when I was in a coma. But I, but I have a problem now. I have a terrible problem with neuropathy, which I never even mentioned, uh, which is the inability to feel things. I can't feel anything with my one remaining leg. I cannot feel anything with my fingers, which means I can't button buttons and hook hooks. Uh, and... Um, they say I have uh, some sort of a neuropathic problem with my ears, which has been making me dizzy. The ramifications of this disease are unreal. An estimated 11 and one-half million Americans have diabetes. Six million of them have been diagnosed and are being treated. Diabetes is a chronic disease. The pancreas of a diabetic either cannot produce enough insulin or cannot properly utilize the insulin that it does produce. Insulin is released into the bloodstream when the blood glucose increases and binds itself to cells at places called receptors. Insulin allows glucose from the food we eat to move from the bloodstream into the cells where it is broken down for energy. Our body's main fuel is glucose, and when the body cannot break this glucose down for energy, the amount of glucose in the body remains high. Dr. Rhoda Coben, assistant clinical professor of medicine at Mount Sinai Medical School, New York City, explains. Diabetes is a group of disorders rather than one disorder that causes dysregulation or inability of the body to use fuel properly and to use glucose particularly as a fuel properly, right? There are several different forms of diabetes probably with different uh, etiologies, different reasons to be, um, which have to do with insulin. Now, the insulin abnormalities can be in many forms, all resulting in the same net result. In some cases, there isn't enough insulin, 
In some cases, the insulin that's produced is not normal. And in some cases, there's plenty of normal insulin, but the tissues that use insulin can't use them properly, and that's called insulin resistance. Um, in all of those cases, the net result of not having enough effective insulin is the inability of the body to use glucose as fuel because glucose can't be transported into the cell. All right. As a result of that, sugar or glucose builds up in the blood, and that's what we see as diabetes. So all of the disorders that we call diabetes um, have as a common denominator elevated blood sugar. But that elevated blood sugar is just simply the tip of the iceberg, and there are all kinds of abnormalities in the chemistry of what goes on in the cell as far as the metabolism of sugar as fuels and also as far as the metabolism of other substances like lipids or fats in the blood. So there are all different kinds of diabetes, but as a net result, they all result in abnormal glucose metabolism. Diabetes can occur in two different situations. Either your body cannot produce enough insulin or your body cannot properly utilize the insulin that it does produce. There are different types based on clinical classification, and the two major types that we recognize are type 1, which is insulin-dependent or insulin-requiring diabetes, which is what used to be called juvenile diabetes or um, type 1 diabetes, is a result of failure, total failure of the pancreas. All right? In that case, people who are usually children, but not always children, because adults can have type 1 diabetes that develops in childhood, and then they grow up to be adults, or adults can develop type 1 diabetes in adulthood. In that situation, there's probably an abnormality in the pancreas that's immunologic, that results from antibodies attacking the pancreas, probably with some genetic predisposition, and possibly with a virus that triggers this whole thing. Um, in that situation, the pancreas fails, and over the course of time, it totally loses its ability to make insulin. Now, type 2 diabetes is a whole different ballgame. Type 2 diabetes usually occurs in adults, and there the situation is not destruction of the pancreas, but just a derangement in how the pancreas works, how it secretes insulin, coupled with uh, an abnormality in how the insulin is received in the tissues. Okay? Now, oftentimes these people are obese. They're, they're often heavy. And that obesity tends to exacerbate or exaggerate the tissue resistance to insulin. So here you're talking about a pancreas that, that isn't dead, but it can't do its job very well. It's limited in its ability to make insulin properly, but at the same time is working against a, a markedly increased need for insulin at the tissue level because the tissues don't receive the insulin properly. And there again, there are a lot of theories as to exactly how and why, but the current work that's being done deals with looking at what's called the insulin receptor. That's the area on the surface of the cell where insulin attaches and binds in order to then go on and do its work. And there are lots of experiments now in type 2 diabetes that suggest that there are abnormalities in the insulin receptor that don't allow the insulin to attach properly to the receptor. So now here you need more insulin because it can't attach right, and at the same time the pancreas is limited as to how much insulin it can make. Okay? In some of those people, just correcting the obesity fixes the receptor, 
and now allows the pancreas, which is not a perfect pancreas, but has some reserve, now allows that reserve to be adequate for what the tissues need. So their weight loss and, and diet and active exercise are, are very important um, compared to a type 1 diabetic where um, the, the pancreas is totally dead, and although you need to have uh, proper diet and exercise to balance off the insulin and so on, um, with type 2 diabetics it can be almost curative to be at a correct weight and to be exercising properly. One of the key elements for the treatment of diabetes is adherence to a strict meal plan. For many patients, like Ray, a 57-year-old type 2 diabetic, maintaining a strict meal plan can be one of the most difficult challenges. After you saw your doctor, he put you on a regimen of medication, exercise, and food? Exactly, and I think that the incredible part was when he said to me, you know, you're going to eat one ounce of meat uh, <laughs> uh, at a sitting and I, uh, for a day. And I, I said, one ounce? I mean, I just looked at him and said, what, are you crazy, man? <laughs> but in fact, that was the case. That, that, that was the greatest adjustment, uh, the food adjustment. Yeah. I'm not a cake and candy person, but uh, the curtailing of things like uh, steaks, uh, roast beef, that, that, that's a problem. Arthur P. Tolvey, a registered dietitian, further explains the diabetic meal plan. In terms of, of diet, what guidelines should a diabetic follow? Uh, generally, it's best to follow a, a doctor's prescribed regimen, uh, eating uh, healthful foods uh, and eating lots of small meals, uh, maybe four or five meals a day, but small meals. Um, that's... Uh, probably the most or the best thing you can do. The next thing is to uh, balance the diet according to um, um, the intake of uh, proteins, fats, and carbohydrates. Now the carbohydrates should be in the form of complex carbohydrates. That's the um, starches, uh, fibers, things that the body has to work to break down. Um, diabetics have an inability to uh, absorb the simple sugars. so. Um, even the um, sugar that's in coffee, while it's not a simple sugar, uh, it's, it's a double sugar, it's uh, easier to break down than, let's say, um, uh, flour is or starches. So you want the body to have to work to break it down. And that means that the, the sugars that are going to be given off will be utilized more slowly. It sounds a little complex. If someone who's diabetic and they're trying to watch their diet, what do they do when they go out to a restaurant to eat? <clears throat> yes, that's uh, quite a problem. But uh, try to get foods that are um, uh, not necessarily unseasoned because the seasoning really doesn't have uh, too much to do with the uh, problems uh, of diabetes. But uh, just make sure that there's no um, uh, honey, uh, fructose, uh, corn syrup, or sugars uh, in the foods. And see that it's lower in, in, uh, in fat than normal. That's just for, uh, for everybody's benefit, uh, the, the lower in fat. Um, and, and see that there's lots of uh, whole grain foods in there so that we have a, a balance of uh, vitamins and minerals and uh, the fiber that's necessary to help uh, rid the body of uh, um, all of the unnecessary and unwanted uh, uh, non-food items. When people talk about diets and diabetics, the term exchange diet comes up. Would you be able to elaborate on that? The diabetic exchange uh, system... Uh, has been used for quite some time. Uh, it's a very old system and it works. 
that's the theory that you can exchange one food for another within the same group. Uh, in fact, the um, uh, diabetic exchange diet is being advocated for, for normal people. Uh, it's just not called diabetic exchange, it's just called an exchange dietary now. And uh, that's given to um, uh, heart patients, people that have to watch their uh, cholesterol and so on too. What it is, you just exchange one food for another within a group. So for instance, um, a small apple, uh, a small orange, uh, a medium peach, uh, two plums, they would all be equal about the same uh, in carbohydrate content. Uh, as far as the exchange tables go, uh, they're not exactly the same, but overall, over a period of time, we feel that it does uh, average out. Uh, the meats, for instance, the meat group would have uh, one egg or an ounce of a uh, lean meat. And then uh, if you want to count some of the medium leans and then some of the uh, medium fat meats, you can have those too, but then you have to uh, consider that you've taken a fat exchange with it, which happens to be either a pat of butter, a teaspoon, or margarine, or some sort of oil. So that as long as you balance things out. For instance, ice cream is a bread exchange plus two fat exchanges. So nobody says a diabetic can't eat ice cream once in a while as long as he, he or she uh, accounts for it in his diet. Are there any <clears throat> tricks that a diabetic could utilize in, when uh, grocery shopping and stocking up for one's kitchen or refrigerator? Read the labels and stay away from readily uh, processed foods, foods that are uh, almost ready to eat because in the processing they're very high in salt, there may be some sugars, uh, and modified starch, which is a a chemically pre-digested form of uh, uh, carbohydrate. Uh, you won't uh, have to work as hard to break it down and therefore it would, it would uh, may form a reaction. Um, read the labels. Uh, some of the labels, while they won't lie, they can be very deceptive too. And uh, try to find things that have, uh, uh, it, it'll say, um, high fructose corn syrup. My, my Lord, that's uh, one of the, the worst things for a diabetic to have in very very high, large quantities. But fortunately, fructose uh, is very, very sweet, much, much sweeter than regular sugar. So therefore, you use a lot less of it. And that's why sometimes fructose is advocated on a, on a diet for diabetics. Diabetics can have a little bit of sugar uh, once in a while, as long as it's not taken in very large quantities, because we have different types of, um, of the diabetes. I see on a lot of labels, diabetic, or sugar-free. Are these products good for diabetics? How should they be used? <clears throat> if they're sugar-free, find out what uh, is substituted for the sugar. Uh, they may substitute honey, they may substitute corn syrup, and all of those are just as bad as having any sugar and maybe worse. Um, you could use the NutraSweet if you don't have anything against the, um, uh, the great controversy uh, with the uh, uh, chemicals in it, but it's, it's a, uh, a protein, uh, and uh, the only people that have to be uh, uh, really afraid of uh, using the NutraSweet probably are the uh, uh, people with the phenylketonuria. Um, because it has phenylalanine in it, and um, that will affect them adversely. Um, 
outside of that, the, the reading the labels, being sure that um, uh, if something says dietetic, that does not necessarily mean it's good for a diabetic. It may have things in there that is not good for a diabetic. And also, uh, diabetics will probably have to watch their weight. Uh, you probably don't want things that are high in fat. So some, some of, of uh, food items, uh, prepared foods, some of the manufactured foods will, will be processed with a lot of the fats, even if it's in oil form. Uh, oil is still a fat and it still has calories. So uh, whether it's a, a so-called good oil or a bad oil, doesn't matter. It's still going to have the calories. If you have to watch calories, then read the labels. And don't take things at face value. Question. Question the, the manufacturers. Call them up and bug them if you have to. Ask the people behind the counters. Ask for a nutrition breakdown of all the foods that don't have them. Educating oneself about the proper meal plan can be confusing. Workshops to help with meal planning can be found in many different settings. Mary Lemazewski, a nurse educator at Valley Hospital in Ridgewood, New Jersey, coordinates a diabetes education program for inpatient diabetics. Diet is a lifelong thing for most people. Um, it's so involved with traditions, involved with culture, and is you're brought up with uh, different traditions also in your own home. And food is diet is a big thing. And I think that the whole thing they have to learn so many things at once about di um, excuse me about diabetes. It's not just one aspect of their life. It's their whole aspect. It's a daily thing that they have to do. It's a daily grind. The dietitian goes through the diet. What is an exchange? How you go through the exchange list? Try to use different terminology instead of exchanges. Make it a little bit maybe. Um, units, you know, or you have this unit for that unit. And instead of uh, a potato, you can have a piece of bread or corn instead of potato, you know, for your starches. Um, and do it a very practical type of thing. When they get to class, we use the food models so that they can see, imagine what a size is, what a portion size is of what's a cup of, of uh, peas, what's an ounce of meat, uh, what does it look like. We also show them some meters or scales that they can purchase. We don't always recommend them, but those people who need that to see what they can measure out, usually the first few months, they, some people like to measure it out because they really don't eyeball very well. Uh, so we have food models. We have discussion we, of uh, diet. Um, we have a video that goes through it. And again, the people who are in the class help each other out also. So it's a discussion time, and we talk about feelings about food. The topics we're talking about is holiday cuisine and diabetes and dealing with some of the foods and coming up with recipes. And a few of us are baking some things that um, can be eaten by diabetics. Are there any tips for diabetics going out for a holiday meal at the uh, family home where uh, everyone's pushing cakes on them and more servings of this, more servings of that? What do you do? I think it's up to the individual. It's up to their own family. Some people are very good about it. Some family members are very good about it, and others really don't have a general understanding about the diabetes. And so I guess I know my sister. She always calls me the Italian mother because I'm always pushing food on her. So it makes me pause to think sometimes that maybe I shouldn't be doing that. Um, and so if you have somebody like that, that um, 
maybe tell them ahead of time, before there's the big family meal, you know, I have diabetes, and there's only so many portions I can eat. There's only so many things I can eat. And let me tell you what I can have to eat before you go to that big meal. If you don't feel that you can do that, if it's somebody you don't know so well, maybe, yes, that's really nice, thank you, I'll have that piece of cake, and maybe take off the icing of the cake, if there's icing on it, and eat a small portion, and just kind of set it down. That's one way to do it. Um, you can take slivers of things, make sure that you have your calorie count. If you know you're going for a diet, to a big meal that night, um, think about what you're eating in the morning. Maybe have fewer calories in the morning and the noontime and that you can have more calories at that meal and adjust, check with your doctor about your insulin coverage or your pill coverage and just go through with them and make sure that you've touched all bases. But you can have a lot of things. Uh, there's not a lot of things that you can keep out. You're going to have your turkey, your mashed potatoes, those types of things. Just keep in mind your portions. Usually the meal you have down pat with your everyday thing, it's usually Usually, probably hors d'oeuvres or uh, desserts that are the biggest problem. Complications from diabetes can be devastating. Adherence to one's meal plan can aid in better control of the diabetes, which in turn can possibly minimize the complications. Patricia, a 41-year-old type 1 diabetic since the age of 4, feels that her strict diet has played an important role in minimizing complications. My parents were very smart. I give them a lot of credit. I, I credit them with my health for today, educating me properly. And um, when I was little, when I was diagnosed in the hospital, there was another little girl. She was six, also diagnosed as being a diabetic. And her family and my family became friends. And we would go to her house, and uh, her mother would always serve coffee and cake and always give Susan a little slice of cake. And my mother said, Later, she told me it used to tear at her heartstrings because she'd always say, oh, give Pat cheese and crackers. We were both diabetics, but her parents just didn't abide by her diet. Well, at 26 years old, Susan was dead. And I mean, that's something that sticks with you. And I, when she died, I, I made a vow to myself that I would try not to die from complications of diabetes. I'm a firm believer in you are what you eat. My friend Susan, the one who died at 26, was a prime example. So I have always um, maintained a strict diet, and I, like I said earlier, I don't have any complications, none whatsoever. So I feel that that's been very important in my life. Um, I meet with a nutritionist because I want to be kept informed of, of new things that are on the market that I, I can use and how I can fit it into my diet. Um, you know, there's always new frozen dinners coming out, and as a single, I you know, use those products, and um, I, so I meet with a nutritionist, um, but I do believe that you are what you eat, and I do believe, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you must cheat. Well, my idea of cheating is, um, you know, I, I've, perhaps it's because I'm a brittle diabetic, but uh, my idea of cheating is uh, instead of having uh, 10 animal crackers, I'll have 15. You know, I don't go to a restaurant and order a piece of cake. I would really have to be really, really in bad shape to do that. I just, it's just not part of my lifestyle. I've, I've not allowed myself to do that. And I think I'm better off because of it. How strict is your diet? What, what do you have to watch in terms of breakfast, in terms of snacks, lunch, etc.? Well, I don't eat anything fried. And um, that's never been a problem. Um, of course, I don't eat any sweets. 
I write occasionally, you know, I'll have an M&M or something like that. Um, but um, I'm, uh, I eat a well, a nutritious meal. I think to myself often that if people ate what I ate, they would probably lose weight. They'd feel better because you eat a well-balanced meal. For Lenore, at the age of 51, avoiding a strict meal plan had devastating results, a stroke and leg amputation. Yet her sister, also a diabetic, has never suffered from complications. I lived with somebody who was a walking miracle. My sister got diabetes when she was four years old. She was very tightly controlled much more so than they would do to a childhood diabetic today. We used to go to the beach and and they uh, and my mother would take a snack of lettuce for her and many times she she went into insulin shock and they carried her home from school. And when I got diabetes, uh, I didn't think it was such a big deal. And I denied that I had it. I didn't take care of myself. I I ate bags of candy. If people brought donuts into the office, I would not have one. Normal people would have one. But I would wind up having three. I was really about the diabetes. I don't know I don't know if I was trying to prove that I was invincible or it was a real case of denial. And and the doctor said to me, don't you ever test your blood sugar? And I would say, why? It's always high. It's always four plus. I never wipe up. I mean, it, it was never going to be less. So I just didn't do it. That's denial. I was in a very peculiar position. I did not eat for eight months. And I lie in a bed and I could not move. I was not, I was incapable. I had round the clock nurses and I was incapable of doing too much. And I did not eat anything, nothing at all. And when I started to eat again, I had lost some of my taste buds. And um, the hospitals were doing things like giving me cake and giving me all sorts of things to entice me to eat. And all of a sudden, <laughs> my appetite came back. And I've gained back a lot of the weight I lost, uh, maybe 30 pounds. And food is still a big problem. I'm involved here at the home with the administration in a diet club. I go every Wednesday, uh, every Monday, we weigh in, we talk about food, and food is a problem for everybody. But I want you to know that the one thing that happened to me that I will not do is eat anything with sugar in it. And I don't eat cookies, candy, ice cream, dessert, I do, except fresh fruit. I just don't. And people say to me, well, you can have dietetic. And yes, there is dietetic cookies, candy, ice cream. I don't even eat that 
because I really feel my mind is so crazy that if I get into the habit of eating cookies that are dietetic, the day is going to come when I'm going to reach for a cookie that's not dietetic and I'm going to eat it. And so I know and since January 1987, I have not put one thing into my mouth that has that's that's something that's a sugar substance, a sugar uh, sugared product. Strict meal planning, which involves selecting the correct foods to eat, scheduling meals, and eating the right number of calories, all play an integral role in the proper control of diabetes. Left uncontrolled diabetes can lead to severe complications. Diabetes Into the New Decade was written and produced by Marshall Katzman. Technical assistance was provided by Jack Durr. Special thanks to Nancy Zobeline, RN, Certified Diabetes Educator, Englewood Hospital. Dr. William J. Muster, Ridgewood, New Jersey, Professor Regina Moore, Bergen Community College, and the Hackensack Medical Center. The presenter was Marshall Katzman. This is Amelia Duggan speaking.